Hello, my friends. You may have heard of a Greek letter called Omicron. That's the new terrifying name for the latest scariant or variant of the virus. They skipped over another Greek letter because it sounds too much like the name of the president of China. So there's no politics here, folks. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's my show today. But can I invite you to get the video version of this podcast? It's just eight bucks a month. I do it every day in video. We put some effort into it. We show you things. Um, you also get access to video shows from David Menzies, Sheila Gunn-Reed, Andrew Chapados. But also you get the satisfaction in knowing that your eight bucks a month goes to support Rebel News. And that may not sound like a ton of dough to you, but it adds up for us. And that's one of the ways we can be so independent. Because unlike most media, we don't take a dime from Trudeau. I think it shows. Just go to rebelnewsplus.com and click subscribe. It's pretty easy. All right, here's today's show. Tonight, the PR campaign for the latest virus just dropped. I'm not impressed. It's November 29th, and this is The Ezra Levant Show. Why should others go to jail Why? when you're a biggest carbon consumer I know? There's 8,500 customers here, and you won't give them an answer. The only thing I have to say to the government about why I publish it is because it's my bloody right to do so. You know what PhD stands for, right? Pilot, higher, and deeper. I'm kidding, sort of, but it's mostly true. PhD actually stands for Philosophiae Doctor, or Doctor of Philosophy in Latin. There are brilliant PhDs. If someone is a PhD in physics or math, that is one seriously smart person. But these days, I'm sorry, you can get a PhD in anything. I noticed that Jill Biden, the first lady, insists on being called doctor. I looked up Jill Biden's doctoral thesis. She's not an MD. She's not a medical doctor. Her PhD is in education. Okay. I started reading her doctoral uh, dissertation, her thesis, and uh, I felt like I was reading a high school paper. Uh, I know I'm going down a tangent here. My monologue today is actually about the new Omicron variety of the virus, just in time to justify shutting down the world for Christmas, just in time to justify child vaccinations, just in time to make sure Pfizer makes its quarterly financial projections. But here it is. You've really got to let me read to you from Dr. Jill Biden's doctoral thesis. It's called Student Retention at the Community College, Meeting Students' Needs. I'm going to literally read to you from the beginning. I want to show you what can get you a PhD in America these days. I'm sure it's worse in Canada. I'm not going to read the whole 80-page paper to you plus footnotes. I want to read about a page of it to show you why you should never be impressed with a PhD until you understand, are they an Albert Einstein PhD or, I don't know, a gender studies PhD? Seriously, let me read just for one minute. I'm not going to read the whole thing. The community college classroom is unlike any other classroom in America. Diversity, rather than homogeneity, is the norm. In an average sized class of 20 students at Delaware Tech, for example, most of the seats will be filled with young students who have just graduated from high school. The majority of these will be female. At least five seats will be filled with middle-aged men and women who have 
lost their jobs due to downsizing and or outsourcing. One or two seats will be filled with students who have graduated from a GED program. Some seats will hold older women whose children have just entered college. Now these women are taking the opportunity to earn college degrees themselves. Three quarters of the class will be Caucasian, one quarter of the class will be African American, one seat will hold a Latino, and the remaining seats will be filled with students of Asian descent or non-resident aliens. At least one quarter of the students will have children. Most of them will be single mothers. Some will be the first in their families to attend college. Few will have taken honors courses in high school, while many will have taken remedial courses, special education, or vocational training. Almost two-thirds will be part-time students, with the remaining one-third attending college on a full-time basis. It goes on like that. Just, just sort of blather, chit-chat like that for 80 pages. That'll get you a PhD? Let me read to you how this ends. The voices of students, faculty, and advisors have been heard and recorded in this executive position paper. Several themes regarding students' needs have emerged. In the area of academia, faculty, students, and advisors all feel that students are underprepared for college. A mandatory study skills course would help to remedy that problem. In addition, better advisement must be implemented and practiced. In the social realm, students need a place to gather in order to align themselves with other students and their institution. In the psychological area, a psychologist must be hired to administer educational testing and offer counseling. A wellness center could complete the holistic approach to meeting students' needs. Delaware Tech has the capacity to be so much better than it is presently. The key to student retention is a coordinated, cohesive effort by administration, faculty, staff, and students. A student retention plan requires diligence and effort, but most of all, leadership. That's the end of it. And I can tell you the 79 pages in between was pretty much the same. Imagine getting a PhD for that. I'm sorry, you cannot have the same accreditation, PhD, apply to Albert Einstein, and to that you just can't. My point is beware of experts, especially if someone says something like this. So if they get up and criticize science, nobody's going to know what they're talking about. But if they get up and really aim their bullets at Tony Fauci, well, people could recognize there's a person there. So it's easy to criticize, but they're really criticizing science because I represent science. You represent science, do you? You do. You are science personified. I don't think that's how science works. I think that's how a cult works or, or a superstition or a political campaign, but it is not science, as Dr. Richard Feynman, a PhD who won a Nobel Prize in physics, by the way, for his PhD, he said, science is the belief in the ignorance of the experts. If someone says you can't criticize them, they are saying they do not believe in science. In fact, he says that maybe people who criticize him ought to go to jail. This is Fauci, the opposite of science. Take a listen. Senator Cruz told the Attorney General you should be prosecuted. Yeah. <laughs> I have to laugh at that. <laughs> I should be prosecuted. What happened on January 6th, Senator? <laughs> so what do these PhDs say, these experts who say you can't criticize them? They say there is a new variant of the virus, and they've named it Omicron. That's a Greek letter. 
there was the Delta variant. That's the Greek letter for D. And like all viruses, they change, they mutate. What's odd is that they're still providing vaccines based on the first variant. I find that odd, but they've moved through the Greek alphabet. And the next letter was supposed to be Xi, which in English is spelled X-I. But of course, X-I is also how you spell in English the name of the president of China, even though he, he pronounced it Xi. So X-I is a Greek letter, but it's also the name of the Chinese president. So the experts, the scientists who aren't allowed to criticize, the PhD people, they literally decided to skip the letter Xi because it would embarrass the president of China, the country from which the virus came. So this Omicron virus, what a laugh, was announced. And almost immediately, it was found everywhere. I wonder how that was even possible. Again, I'm sorry to ask questions. I'm more of a Feynman-style thinker than a Fauci-style thinker. I ask questions, even if they're dumb questions. Because I think that's what journalism is about, asking questions, and science too, really. So, so how did doctors around the world suddenly know that they had this Omicron scariant all at once? Seriously, how did they know? Did they have a special test to find it? What was the test? Or did they just decide that it was Omicron? I'm, I'm open to an answer, by the way. It's just quite something that this all went from announcement to fashion trend in about 48 hours. Don't be left out. Say you've got Omicron, too. Not just that, but politicians went into full panic mode immediately, altogether, almost as if on cue. Israel, one of the most locked down and vaccinated places in the world, it's so vaxxed that if you only have two doses, you're considered to be a dirty, unvaxxed person. Israel has announced they are banning every single person from every single country around the world. You can't fly to Israel. Forget about the tourism industry. Forget about people making pilgrimages to the Holy Land or even just vacations. Just plain old people visiting family, doing business. Imagine locking down your entire country like it's a prison. Wasn't being super vaxxed supposed to end these lockdowns, not make them more extreme? What is going on? Same thing with Canada. Trudeau told us that it was super duper racist to ban people from China last year. So did Theresa Tam. In 2020, they said anyone who was worried about the virus at all was really racist. Now they're banning African countries from flying to Canada. How does that work? Uh, of course, there is still a way for people from Africa to come to Canada. Don't worry. Just walk across Roxham Road. Our own reporter Alexa Lavoie was there the other day. And there is literally no one guarding the road. If you are caught, you're released back into the country. No two-week lockdown for you. Boris Johnson, the UK Prime Minister, he panicked like a cushion that bears the imprint of whoever last sat upon him. He um, called for more masks. How <laughs> does that even make sense? Aren't the vaccines supposed to, supposed to do it? The measures that we're taking today, including on our borders and on face masks, are temporary and precautionary. And we will review them in three weeks. At that point, we should have much greater information about the continuing effectiveness of our vaccines. I very much hope that we will find that we continue to be in a strong position and we can lift these measures again. But right now, this is the responsible course of action to slow down the seeding and the spread of this new variant and to maximize 
our defences so that we protect the gains we've worked for so hard and so that we can continue to save lives. Joe Biden banned flights from Africa too, but he waited until the weekend was over. I guess that's science. I mean, the virus was fine to come to America on Sunday, but not on Monday. That's science. Fauci was very excited by all this. I mean, there are 24 letters in the Greek alphabet. This could go on for quite a while. But the thing is, the South Africans who discovered this new Omicron variant, they say it's actually pretty easy going for a virus. Here, listen to them. Looking at the mildness of the symptoms that we are seeing, currently there's no reason for panicking as we don't see severely ill patients. I also checked with the hospital, some of the hospitals in my area. And one of the biggest hospitals, they only have one patient currently that's COVID positive on a ventilator, and they don't even know whether it's COVID, uh, you know, it's Delta or whether it is um, Omicron related. We acknowledge that it might change going forward. But the hype that's been created currently out there in the media and worldwide doesn't correlate with the clinical picture. Um, and it doesn't warrant to just cut us off from any traveling and ban South Africa as if we are the villains in the whole process. It should not be like that. Okay, that's encouraging. I mean, they're not that worried, but they're a bit surprised that they're being banned from traveling anywhere in the world. The Democrats in the United States went nuts when Donald Trump bans people from several terrorist-affiliated Muslim countries, they called that a Muslim ban. They went nuts when uh, Trump banned flights from China. They called that xenophobia. Joe Biden called it racist to ban people from China, but now he's banning black people from Africa. I don't get it. I like what Scott Adams had to say. He said, is it too soon to call Omicron a vaccination? Fact check, mild symptoms after getting it followed by immunity. Yeah. That sort of is, there's, there's something to that. Natural immunity from a variant that doesn't make you very sick. That's good news for Africa. Bad news for Pfizer, which I think is why there has to be this fuss for Pfizer. Not just to sell vaccines into Africa, but to sell them to young children here in North America and to Europe too and to get the boosters. Kids as young as five now. It really will never end until we make it end. Uh, here's, what, 100,000 people in Michigan who decided they're done being scared by the latest scariant. They went to a football game instead. That sounds more fun. If that game were in Florida, though, there'd be nonstop condemnations of the governor. But Michigan's governor is a Democrat, not a Republican. In fact, Florida has the lowest rate of the virus these days, even though it has a very old population. It's had the lightest touch in government policies. I wonder if there's a connection. So which way is this all going to go? The Fauci-Pfizer way? Perpetual cycles of fear and lockdowns? Then teasing a little freedom and then repeat? Or the Florida way? In Canada, I fear for the worst because we don't have anyone in authority standing up. Not a soul. Certainly not our cowardly conservative party. Um, I fear we're going the way of Ireland. Just look at this poster. Look at it carefully. They say you need to get all of your boosters 
up to date on an ongoing basis, so there's no end. They say privileges will be granted to fully vaccinated people only. Privileges. You have no rights anymore. It's all privileges. And in case you've missed it, they have a helpful picture. Six syringes and two check marks. You have to keep filling it in. Like, I don't know, when you used to get a card at a coffee shop or the Subway sandwiches, buy five, get a sixth for free. Collect all your points. They're doing that. Six boosters. It will never end, my friends, until you end it. I think it starts by not being afraid, personally. Like those Michiganders, they went out for football, they weren't afraid. I think it continues by not being part of the mania, not being part of the enforcement, not actively agreeing or accepting this. I think it means not becoming antagonistic, not, not looking for a conflict, but not being passive in the face of conflict either, not being a part of the evil. Maybe even once in a while, saying something about it. Stay with us for more. Well, you know, the game show called Who Wants to Be a Millionaire? Regis Philbin was one of the early hosts. It was popular for a while. And it implies that being a millionaire is something pretty special. But what happens with hyperinflation when you literally have, as has been seen in Weimar, Germany, or in uh, Venezuela or other places, what when you have actual million-dollar bills? In some places in Africa, money was so devalued that they weighed it. They literally put it on a scale. They had to lop off six zeros to make sense of it. Even Israel for a while had hyperinflation. So who wants to be a millionaire? Well, the answer is not me. If a millionaire only buys you a can of Coke, joining us now via Skype from Winnipeg is our friend Spencer Fernando, the boss of SpencerFernando.com. Spencer, I'm not saying we're on the brink of hyperinflation, but my God, all the elements are aligning for that to happen. Why don't you tell me uh, what the warning signs are for the kind of inflation Canada is experiencing and could be about to experience? Well, yeah, one thing to watch out for is when you see, you know, a period of when, when the economy should be doing very badly, and then the government starts printing a bunch of money and distributing it everywhere, you'll actually see the economy look like it's doing very well for a short period of time. And part of the reason is people start to feel like, okay, you know, it looks like the value of my money is kind of eroding, right? So I better spend it as quickly as I can because the longer I wait, you know, the less it's worth. So you'll see a, a large surge in spending and it looks like the economy is booming. There's a lot of consumption, lots of things are happening. And then uh, obviously that ends up leading to some serious problems because once that initial burst of spending goes away, you're left to see what the economy is like. And so I think I'd be very you know wary of liberals trying to do that, trying to make it look like the economy is distributing square, thinking that's going to turn out. I think one of the things that worries a lot of Canadians, at least in big cities like Toronto and Vancouver and other cities to a smaller extent, is the cost of housing. And I think that there's two problems here. First of all, if you have inflation, interest rates could be 
uh, going up. And at the same time, the price of housing is going up, you know, just in terms of absolute dollar amounts. Um, I suppose that could be a benefit to someone who owns their own home, I suppose. I don't know how that plays out. If interest rates start going up and money starts becoming less valuable, I think that could put people underwater, right? Is that how that works? People can no longer afford to pay their mortgages and they get in a pickle? Well, yeah, I mean, you have a lot of people also who borrowed against the value of their home. A lot of people have used, um, they've, you know, borrowed, they've gone into debt and then tried to invest in the housing market, right? And so if home values start to decline, then people get in real trouble. The other problem, too, of course, is that, you know, it's a sign of serious inflation problems when you see something like housing surge so much in a year, right? Because what you're not really seeing, it's not that houses are really getting more valuable. It's that each individual unit of money is getting much less valuable. So houses are, you know, they're fixed assets. You can't just create a whole bunch of houses in one year and massively inflate the housing supply. So it's something that's relatively stable in supply year over year. And that's how you can tell that money is declining in value very dramatically. I mean, they're trying to tell people the inflation rate is, what, 4.7%, but housing is up, what, 30% in a year? And in a year when the economy should have been struggling, right? I mean, we're not talking about it's been an economic boom for years, so we're expecting housing prices to be to be very high. In a, in a normal market, you would have expected housing to have been down over the past two years, and obviously that's not what happened. So I think that's another warning sign of inflation and, and massive money printing is that things that are fixed in, in quantity or at least relatively stable in quantity start going up dramatically in price. I want to point to a chart. I'm, I'm looking at your uh, latest essay, The Throne Speech, Justin Trudeau's brilliant plan to fix surging inflation by spending a bunch of money. Of course, that's like putting out a fire by spraying it with kerosene. But you've got a chart on there. The source of the data is Bloomberg. It's uh, uh, from Crescat Capital, LLC. And it shows, uh, it's entitled Central Bank Assets Growth, uh, Balance Sheet Assets to Nominal GDP. And I don't want to get too technical, but the reason this chart is interesting to me is it shows other what other banks around the world are doing, what the U.S. Federal Reserve is doing, what Japan is doing, what the Europeans are doing. So it's, you know, are we, if we're going mad, well, is the whole world going mad too? Are we at least with the herd? I mean, a lot of countries did some pretty dramatic things to get through the year of the pandemic, but we're pretty much through that now. And this graph shows that Canada is triple, quadruple, quintuple as insane, out of control printing money as basically anybody else. Like we really, like when I started off by talking about Weimar Germany or Argentina, those are the worst cases in the world for inflation. This chart is bloody terrifying. It looks like something an Argentina would do. Yeah, I mean, the U.S. is probably catching up uh, under the Biden administration, right? I mean, they, I think it was uh, Kamala Harris said, oh, the, the $1.2 trillion infrastructure program cost taxpayers the penny cent, right? Obviously, people are going to pay for it one way or another. But, uh, yeah, I mean, the, the printing of money in Canada is excessive. And in addition, you look at the you know, pandemic support programs, those are supposed to be emergency programs, right? The liberals have extended some of them again, they're Programs. So every every time there's a problem in the country, they seem to just think, okay, we'll just borrow money and throw money at the problem. And if you keep doing that, obviously you devalue your currency. You have more money, 
facing fewer goods, so obviously the price of goods is going to go up. And I think that's something people really need to understand about inflation. You know, people feel like, oh, if businesses are raising prices, up. that's not really what's happening. It's that your money is being robbed of value. Your time and your effort is being robbed of value. Your purchasing power is being taken away from you. And then when you go to buy something, it looks like a price is, the price has gone up because your money's not worth as much. So I think people really understand that. You know, governments obviously want people to blame all the evil capitalists, the big businesses are punishing everybody with price increases, but really it's the government that's causing the problem. So, I mean, I'm not looking to you for financial advice. I know that's not your profession, but it sounds like you're sort of bearish on, on the Canadian dollar. Do you think that people are gonna flee these currencies which are manipulatable by politicians into something like Bitcoin. I mean, the criticism of Bitcoin is, well, what's beneath it? How can you trust it? What does it represent? Can it be pumped up by, you know, uh, manipulations? Every one of those criticisms I've just listed, I think, could be said about Canadian currency too, and even worse. Do you think people are going to get out of Canadian dollars and try and get into things that governments can't meddle with, like Bitcoin? Yeah, I certainly think you're going to see a lot more of that. I mean, you know, the people talk about Bitcoin, you know, who controls it? Well, that's that's kind of the idea, right? Nobody controls it directly. There's no central authority that decides, you know, uh, to manipulate Bitcoin, right? I mean, it, it, there can only be 21 million of them, you know, ever. So it's got scarcity, just like gold. Gold is in some ways less scarce because you can still find more of it. But the supply of gold doesn't go up that much. And so that's what's interesting. You see, people are going to look at things like gold, silver, Bitcoin, all things that are relatively stable in value or stable in supply. And that's how you can really see how your money is, is being eroded. And you talk about, you know, who can manipulate currency. I mean, there's an unlimited potential supply of Canadian dollars. It can be created at the whim of, you know, the head of the Bank of Canada. And it can be created or at least uh, there can be pressure for it to be created by governments like the Trudeau government just running massive deficits. And then the Bank of Canada often feels obliged to, you know, finance those deficits. So. People are worried about manipulation. Yeah, you should be worried about your the Canadian dollar, worried about central banks and fiat currency. I wouldn't be worried about crypto being manipulated. I, I'd worry about uh, our supposedly sound and and uh, responsible governments, you know, screwing over the value of money. Yeah, and never forget that uh, George Soros uh, made uh, one of his most spectacular fortunes uh, by betting against the British pound and breaking the Bank of England. Very terrifying. It wouldn't surprise me that vultures like that are circling. That was how he made his big breakthrough. Now he's got even more capital at his disposal. Well, I will try and understand this file more in the months ahead because I get the feeling that uh, we are returning to that dark 70s feeling of... Um, stagflation, stagnating economy, inflation, malaise in foreign policy. It is unhappy. It's a reminder of, of Pierre Trudeau, Jimmy Carter days, and I'm afraid we're re-entering them. Spencer, it's great to see you again. Thanks for your time today. Yeah, no problem. All right, there you have it. Spencer Fernando from SpencerFernando.com. I really encourage you to sign up on his website for his regular email. Stay with us. More ahead. Your letters, Fortunisco says, where is the court's opinion that provided the legal reasoning that the quarantine hotels are not actual places of confinement? Would like to read it all. Well, it was the ruling by no one less than the chief judge 
of the Federal Court of Appeal. So if you go to the Federal Court website um, and you can search for it, the plaintiff included Rebel News and Kean Bextiar, employee at the time. So uh, if you go to the Federal Court of Canada and then click on Decisions, you can search for it. Um, I think the keyword to search for would be Rebel or Kean. And in the ruling, the judge said it's not a detention at all, let alone a detention that we have to just that we can justify. You know, um, the charter works. It's sort of a two-step process. The Charter of Rights and Freedoms guarantees us uh, a list of freedoms, um, but there's that wiggle room that says you can infringe them if you meet certain tests. So, step one is, did the government infringe your freedom? Step two is, was that infringement reasonably justifiable in a free and democratic society? That's the, the wording. So normally, everything the government does to you is a kind of infringement. The battle is, is it reasonable in a free and democratic society? The judge in that court case said, it's not even an infringement. It's not even a detention. We don't even have to justify it because it's not a detention. I find that madness, and I should tell you that we're appealing. Char West says, congrats to Rebel News once again. No one works harder for the freedom of speech than your media outlet. Thank you. Thank you to the judge from Canadians. I was very pleased with that. We had excellent lawyers in the court. And you do have to get cre give credit to the three men themselves who are under enormous pressure from the government, from police, from the community. They, and it's men like that, and obviously w women who are battling too, our key lawyer for Arthur Pavlovsky is a great lawyer from Calgary named Sarah Miller. It is rare to have that kind of courage to dissent, and we've got a lot of friends like that. Balthazar Gapka says, funny, for the first time in history, the ineffectiveness of a medicine is being blamed on those who refuse to take it. Yeah, you're talking about vaccines. I, um, I'm just boggled by Israel. I mean, I've been to Israel a few times. I'm Jewish myself. I have some affinity for the country. And they've super jabbed that place. It's got to be one of the most vaccinated places in the world. And now the Omicron virus is named. It's specifically mild and they lock the whole place down. I don't know what's going on in Israel. It makes me very uncomfortable as someone who's affectionate towards that country. And I see similar overreactions all around the world. It's almost as if the worse the vaccines perform, the more they're being forced on people. It's almost as if the timing here was to buttress calls for more jabs against children in Canada. That's how I feel Trudeau's reaction is. I don't know. I don't, suppose, I don't think you're allowed to ask those questions anymore, are you? Or Anthony Fauci will say you're attacking science itself. Well, that's our show for the day. It's great to be back. Nice to see you again. Until tomorrow, on behalf of all of us here at Rebel World Headquarters, to you at home, good night. Keep fighting for freedom. And let me leave you with a video from the United Kingdom, where our own Lewis Brackwell interviews someone from within their health system. Take a look at this. What would be your message to other nurses, doctors, or any other worker from the NHS who feel like they can't speak out about this subject? What would be your message? Start speaking out, start forming groups and support networks, and hold, hold the line essentially just wait to out in. Having considered the consultation responses, 
the advice of my officials and NHS leaders, including the Chief Executive of the NHS, I have concluded that all those working in the NHS and social care will have to be vaccinated. I encourage NHS workers and care workers who do not want to get the vaccine to reach out and tell your story. Your anonymity is extremely protected with us at Rebel News, so please get in touch and enjoy the report. So in recent light um, of the vaccination regulations for NHS workers, where potentially over 100,000 workers from the NHS won't be allowed to keep their jobs by April uh, 2022, this regulation is going to be affecting lots and lots of different types of NHS workers. Um, I have with me an occupational therapist for, who works for the NHS um, to give their uh, side of the story. Uh, thank you very much for taking the time out to, to speak to me today. It's really great to have you on. Um, first question, how are you feeling about this regulation and how is this going to impact you? I felt like this was coming for a long time, especially since they announced it was with the care workers. I thought NHS would definitely be next. Um, so I have been expecting it, but that doesn't make it any easier to pass. I actually work in the community rather than a hospital. So I kind of see things from a different side. Um, as of today, I am no longer allowed to go into care homes. Um, so that is really affecting my job, my team. There's actually a couple of us in my team who didn't want the vaccination for different reasons. Um, and obviously we're a very small team, so that is really going to impact community service. I don't know what to do because obviously my, my own personal mental health is is being negatively affected by this. I feel like they're almost using us over the winter to get through what's probably going to be a really difficult winter, which it always is, and then potentially face the sack in April when things quieten down a bit. I'm guessing there's many of your colleagues who are in fear of speaking out, is that correct? Yeah, um, I know a couple of people who are in a similar situation to me, but it's really hard to kind of, especially with my own NHS was found, people who are similar to me, can't exactly kind of put anything out on the trust email to say, can we get a group together or anything, so that, that's hard. So there's only like person in my team who's in a similar position and friends who have previously worked with or my team with. I'm guessing there's no union or any sort of protection that would be fighting your corner for this. No, so I'm part of Unison and I believe that Unison haven't been great throughout the whole care workers situation. But I do know that they can't lose 100,000 staff, so it should be an NHS will just fall to its knees and that bust the thing is, is that the government's intention to they want to privatise it through the back door essentially without it being as obvious, I don't know. We obviously had a brief discussion about nurses being used over the winter period when it's obviously the, the NHS's busiest time. Do you feel used and do your colleagues feel completely used? I feel used, yes, because I know that I am a good worker. I've always, I've never taken a nick with my dad. I've always, you know, I, I, I know I'm a good worker, which is what really annoys me, to be honest. And I am thinking about going off on sick leave at some point, because I don't want to be used, I don't want to be taken for a ride, essentially. And I know a couple of my colleagues in the same position are going to do the same. <laughs> which essentially is similar to the NHS in a poor 
position, but I don't want to be treated like that as a human being. I think my mental health is definitely more important than a job. And what would be your message to other nurses, doctors, or any other worker from the NHS who feel like they can't speak out about this subject? What would be your message? Start speaking out, start forming groups and support networks, and hold the line, essentially just wait it out. And... Could you explain to me the situation about waiting lists? I know we had a previous conversation about this off camera. Could you please give your, your verdict on on the seriousness of this situation. Yeah, it is a serious situation. In pre-pandemic, our community therapy waiting list was about 60 to 70 patients. When the pandemic kicked off, we were told to start seeing community patients and we were kind of on standby for the hospital. We were never needed. Um, we were starting for nine for six months. Didn't really do a lot. I kind of picked up a bit of a fuss and said I don't feel I'm being utilised as a therapist I should be out there in the community seeing patients and I was kind of pushed back and eventually we just start our community patients again and now we've got a waiting list of over 300 patients. A lot of these patients have deteriorated um, and their mental health because a lot of them are scared of leaving the house um, for six months, if they didn't leave the house, their mobility has reduced. It's had a massive impact on patients like elderly people's abilities um, to function. And these waiting lists are just going to keep increasing and increasing. So to then say, oh, we're going to fire 100,000 staff if they don't have a job doesn't make sense. And to me, that's, that's going to impact patient safety massively. And the question really is, is it sustainable? No. If that many people adapt or leave the jobs in the next few months, then the NHS is going to completely fail, which is really sad. Rebel News have started a pandemic whistleblowers campaign to help us bring truth to the public. And just a little bit more about it, at Rebel News, we do appreciate the bravery of anyone who has come forward with information. And that's why we created an intake form for whistleblowers to come forward and expose some important details. Please fill out this form on this page here. Thank you very much.